Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The next time you're shopping for mountain bike gear, check out singletracks.com/deals. Each week we share our favorite product picks and exclusive coupon codes from our partners. You can also use the page to search for whatever you're buying from complete mountain bikes to brake sets and tire sealant. That's singletracks.com/deals. And to get our weekly picks delivered to your inbox, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. Links to the newsletter and deals page are in the show notes. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today Matt and Jero and I are going to be talking about some of the mountain bikes and, well, gravel bikes and all kinds of bikes that we've got in for testing or that we've tested recently. And I thought maybe we should start with some of the more aggressive bikes uh, that we've recently tested. And Matt ends up at the top of the list with the Gorilla Gravity Nirvana. Tell us what riding that bike was like, Matt. Oh, man. Top of the list. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the, uh, the Nirvana was... Gorilla Gravity came out with that end of March, I think it was. And so I guess to segue it a little bit... Uh, and to fill anyone in on Gorilla Gravity if they don't know kind of their system for bikes now. So the week before I had the Smash, which is like their all-mountain bike they've had out for a little while. It's a 145 mil, 150 mil on the front. And so Gorilla Gravity is basically using the same front triangle, all their bikes. So all the sizes, you know, a size small Gorilla Gravity Smash frame can work as a size small Mega trail frame, even there, there are two different wheel sizes. They just make a modular so that you can swap the seat stays. In that case, it'd be the chain stay also. If you're going, I think it would be the chain stay also. It's a little more complicated switching between wheel sizes, but basically I had the Smash, which is 145 mil 29er, and was able to switch it to their new Narvana, which is a 160 mil 29er in the rear with a 170 mil fork. So then you just swap the fork and the seat stay. Seems really efficient. Like, I wonder what the trade offs are and why, like, more bike brands don't do their bikes that way. It is, yeah. And it, like, it definitely caters to the customer that's a little, like, I mean, because spending a lot of money, you know, thousands of dollars on a bike is like, you want to be able to kind of have it all. And so, with that system, they kind of give it to you and that you could buy an Arvana or a Smash and have a couple extra parts on hand and make the change from a bigger travel bike to a smaller travel bike if you wanted. So yeah, backstory, switch to Smash to an Arvana. And yeah, I mean, it's a it's a big bike. I'd say with both like Gorilla Gravities in general, what I noticed is that their kinematics just felt a lot different to where I think probably most of us can attest to this. Most of these new bikes that are coming out, it's like you have that sensitive top stroke, supportive middle stroke, and an end stroke that ramps up so that, you know, doesn't feel harsh or anything like that. But pedaling on the both the Nirvana and the Smash, you just get through the middle stroke a lot more than you would on a lot of other bikes. And so it ends up giving you a lot more traction if you're taking your bike to 
big, gnarly, chunky trails, which if you're on something like an Arvana, that's probably what you want to do. So definitely not like the most efficient or platformy feeling suspension out there, but new geometry, it climbs really well. It feels really well when you're climbing. And then Arvana is, I mean, super fast going downhill. Tough in more tighter, uh, kind of janky terrain. But if you have like a wide open, just fast section of trail, I mean, super fast bike. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that one looked like a lot of fun. Yeah, and you you posted a video. Was it? Did you do videos for both of those, or was it just one of them? I don't remember. Just the Nirvana. Yeah. 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 I think I only had like two weeks on the Smash, so tried to get one up for the Nirvana. Yeah, and another interesting point on the Nirvana also is 450 mil chainstays. So it just feels like a super long bike, um, like very stable at speed. But not not unmaneuverable through really tight switchbacks and things like that. Like you can still corner. It doesn't. It's long, but it doesn't feel like a bus. Yeah, nice, Jero. You recently tested the YT GFC, and that's a bike that you owned, like a previous version of, right? That's right. Yeah, I had the first generation of the GFC. Um, it was a little shorter travel and a little. Mm, I don't know, steeper angles and just a, it was really a different bike where this latest iteration is the, it's called the Jeff C base. It's an aluminum frame and, uh, it's, it totally matches the new carbon bike and it's been a lot of fun to test. It's their, their most affordable model to date, I believe. So it's twenty two ninety nine. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's got it's a really nice be. build. You know, it's got a, it comes with a set of DHR tires, front and rear minions. The casing could be a little heavier as usual, but the bike's kind of aimed at like maybe newer riders, you know, I would guess. And so maybe for newer riders or people that are going to ride some of the trails, they don't need that kind of thing. And they can cut some weight with the tires. So maybe it makes sense in that sense. And it, it feels like a bike that's kind of aimed at two different people. Uh, or groups of people rather. So like newer folks who don't maybe want to spend a ton of money for a variety of reasons as they're getting into the sport. And for those folks, I feel like it's really a great value. It's got all the geometry numbers you want to ride essentially any trail. It's got a nice steep seat tube angle, 66 degree head tube angle, uh, 435 millimeter chain stays, 450 millimeter reach, like kind of Across the board, it's an it's a normal short travel enduro or long travel trail bike, depending on how you like to define those things. Yeah, uh, or all mountain, it, right? That, you that can, fits right in the middle. You there. can all mountain all over it. You can you can the whole <laughs> mountain. Yeah, it's a it's a sweet bike for sure. It's, and like I said, it's a really nice build. Yeah, it's for I would say that for like veteran riders on a budget. I think if I were paying retail for all of my bikes, I would, I know I would look at this bike cause it's a really good deal. Yeah. And if I purchased it, having ridden for a long time and I think, you know, I ride a little bit or maybe a lot harder than some beginners, the brakes are way underpowered. It comes with the SRAM guide T I believe. Mm-hmm. And they just, they're like scary powerless. I mean, I had to change the front brake after the first two rides cause I don't really understand what it was doing, but it wasn't slowing me down. 
Yeah. Is that a two-piston brake? It's a four. That's four front and rear, but that one is just, I mean, it's made for lighter riding, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I, I think I have, I feel like I've ridden, you know, XT two-piston brakes that are stronger than that, or at least feel like they work better in general, whether the power's there or not. And then again, you know, for folks who are really pushing it, you're going to want probably change the rear tire at the very least. And then the shock, um, there's no, there's only a rebound adjust. So, so folks that want to fiddle with their suspension a fair bit, like when it comes to that particular rock shocks model, your only real option is to add a bunch of pressure to it. And I have had to run it kind of like oversprung with too much air in it in order to not bottom out. I don't really like to take shocks apart on test bikes and add volume spacers just because <laughs> I don't really have that kind of time. Um, but yeah, I mean, it could definitely use a heavier shock. And I've since been testing a new prototype coil that'll come out next month. And we'll have a, we'll have a story about that as soon as it's available. But it's massively improved the bike. Like just being able to adjust the compression has been huge. So yeah, it becomes a lot more capable. Did you like, I was actually just talking uh, with a friend about this on a ride uh, maybe like two weeks ago. Do you like the DHR uh, two combo front and rear? I love it. You know, I do a lot of like pedal up the dirt road, ride down the trail kind of riding. Not exclusively, but I mean, my lunch laps exclusively just because that's quick. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like I don't care whether tires climb really well on those particular rides. And that really square tire really hooks up well in loose messy trails, which is a lot of what we have, um, you know, just when it gets steep and off camber and you're not riding berms, not riding flow, those nice square, big chunky shoulder knobs really bite in well. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, <laughs> I think it was a good choice for the bike. <laughs> yeah. I've had it on one or two trail bikes before too. And I actually liked it more than I thought I would. Really? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It doesn't seem right based on the naming but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but something like the is the Thunderbolt uh, that I had it on, and that that's how Rocky Mountain specs it with the DHR front and rear. I mean, I guess a little less aggressive than a DHF up front, but yeah, I mean, it still seems to work. Interesting, and I imagine YT has higher end builds of that same bike. Would if you were buying a GFC, would you? Do you think you would go with the one that you're testing, the one you know? bottom level build and then upgrade it or would you maybe look at buying a, a different build i mean i think for what i want out of the bike i would go with at least the next model up i mean the next model up is still really affordable it's what is it 29.99 and you get mm -hmm. a fox 36 and a dpx2 shock with you know tons of adjustment on that bike and it's yeah I don't know, it just seems a lot more capable and less to upgrade. I think the brake brakes might be. Yeah, better brakes. Let's see. It comes with SRAM Guide R, so definitely better than the T. I still mm -hmm. might swap them out. I'm not a huge fan of the guide brakes, <laughs> to be honest. They just, I've, they've failed too many times, to be honest. Hmm. They have a storied history. Interesting. They do. It's true. Yeah. But overall, it's a really fun bike, and I've really enjoyed riding it. And uh, with a couple of changes, it's pretty fantastic. 
Yeah, cool. That's awesome. So Matt, back in March before travel and everything got shut down, you went to the Sedona Bike Fest and got to test several pretty new bikes. Tell us about some of the ones you rode back in March. Yeah, it was like back to back, one day on one bike, one day on another, another day on another. Yeah, nice. It it worked out pretty well because we, so I stayed with some friends um, in Oak Creek, which is 10 miles. So yeah, like basically I'd pick up a bike one day, take it back to the house. And then from Oak Creek, I could get on Slim Shady and basically ride that at least halfway back toward the festival. And then one morning I'd caught a shuttle about halfway and the other way I just kind of took the road and rode that all the way back. So I actually worked for getting decent miles on, on these test bikes. I only got one or two rides each, but it was like 15 miles each. And so by then you can kind of mm-hmm. have a little bit of sense of what the bike is about. But yeah, I rode the Ibis Ritmo, the newer version, the Transition Scout, and the new Pivot Firebird. If I picked a favorite... Ooh, it's a tough draw between the Scout and the Firebird because the Scout's just, it's super fun. Like, it, it's just meant to be a fun bike. But the Firebird is also, it's like this one, I think it's like 142 mil travel in the back and a 160 fork. But it's so light and stiff and the kinematics are so good that it you can just cover so much ground on it. It doesn't feel like this kind of hefty all-mountain bike. So, yeah, those are my favorites. I don't know. Maybe the Scout was my favorite. There's just a lot of fun to like throw around. You know, it's 140 mil in the rear and 150 mil up front and transition. I mean, it started with 27.5 inch wheels and they've kept that. It's just kind of the spirit of the bike. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, a lot of bikes uh, or a lot of brands just aren't making, they're reserving almost anything up to like 150 or 160 for uh, 29 inch wheels. So mm-hmm. it's different to see on there. I, actually talked to somebody else from a different brand about riding that one. And they're like, yeah, we can't, we can't justify making a shorter travel bike in 27.5 inch wheels. It's just not what customers are into at the moment. So it's cool to see that on the scout. Matt, do you feel like, are you going to get a chance to ride that long term at some point? Is that something you'd be into? Yeah, I definitely would not be opposed to it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, the geometry uh, numbers are just meant to be playful, like super short chain stays. Uh, the reach is fairly long. I want to say it's like 455 or, oh, it's 460. And so you do get a pretty long reach and then also really low stand over height because it's 27.5 and they've just figured out how to push everything down so low that, I mean, you can really make that bike kind of do whatever you want. Yeah, manual, wheelie, pop, jump. And the geometry is still really solid for climbing. Like you get a steep seat angle. Honestly, I felt like the geometry on the Scout was better for climbing than both the Ripmo and the Firebird, which I rode. Yeah. If you've been following the site too lately, you know, you'll probably see that we've been posting a lot of these bike reviews, long-term bike reviews and in for test articles. And we're going to cover a ton of bikes in this podcast as well. And part of that's because, you know, by this point in the year, we would have been to Sea Otter when we wouldn't have been able to do some probably like short test rides or there there were, would have been media events and things taking place all over. But yeah, that hasn't been happening this year. But what has been happening is people are sending us bikes and 
you know, we're doing more testing on local trails and closer to home. And one of the bikes that I got in for review, man, it was, it was a while ago, I think February, maybe January, I got in the Niner Rip 9, which is a, a long travel 29er. It's the longest travel 29er that uh, Niner currently makes. And I, I was able to get in like a couple of local rides on the bike. And, you know, it's really not a bike. It's a bike that's meant to be ridden in the mountains and on like really fast wide open trails and so i had planned like a ride um up in the mountains in tennessee like in february and then that got snowed out which is really unusual and then the whole coronavirus thing hit and so um yeah i wasn't doing any traveling you know even even just riding a couple hours away but then yeah finally finally just in the last couple weeks i've been able to get out more and test this bike and yeah it's 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 a really good bike it's definitely one of those that is meant for fast rides and riding in the mountains uh, it's got 140 millimeters of travel in the rear uh, 150 up front and it's if you if you haven't seen this bike definitely look it up on single tracks probably by the time this podcast is out uh, we will have published my review of the bike but yeah it's a really good looking bike got a awesome paint job on it niner uses a suspension design that they call cva suspension and you know like all suspension designs there's a lot of like engineering and tech speak that goes along with it but basically it's optimized to minimize pedal kickback which is you know kind of that awkward feeling of like when the suspension uh, compresses and then releases like it it puts forces on your your pedaling basically or conversely like your pedaling can transmit forces into the suspension and so they really try to like optimize the system and to do that basically they create like a a specific point where um, if you're dialed in in your sag if you're at for this bike, exactly 30%. Um, that's where you're going to basically, you're going to minimize that like pedal bob that you would feel uh, when you're climbing. And so it's a, it's a really like interesting system and really high tech in terms of like getting it optimized. But that also makes it harder to, to get it dialed for climbing. And so, yeah, it's for me, it was is not a great climber. But on the descents, man, it, it really rips, uh, hence the name, I guess. And one other thing about the bike that I should mention is that it's got, it's got like this interesting shock placement uh, with some like carbon struts that go around it. They call it the rib cage. It's basically like adds stiffness to the frame, kind of protects the shock, but the shock that they spec with the bike uh, is a Fox, uh, what is it, DPX2. And the valve on it, like, is kind of in the way of the strut. And so you have to use this special adapter that, that lets you actually air up the shock and, um, you know, get sag set properly. And man, it's, it's awkward. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> it, it's, it's, yeah, not, not a great design. You know, hopefully you don't have to, add air to your shock a lot like you'll just kind of set it and forget it for a while but um yeah it's kind of a bummer to see that 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 detail kind of got overlooked but i would think if you 
get a different shock, you might not run into that. But it just seems weird that they would spec that particular shock with that design. Yeah, and it looks like you have to have that little adapter, like there's a spot for it inside the chainstay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you don't lose it. And yeah, you always have it with you. Um, but there's like a warning label too that's like, you know, don't forget, don't like attach the adapter, you know, pump up your shock and then sit on the bike to check sag, which all of us do. I mean, I don't know, I'm lazy. I'll leave the shock pump attached to the to the shock while I'm doing it in case I need to add air or bleed air. And, you know, um, if you do that with that adapter in, it, it could crack your frame. Yeah, I ran into I ran into another issue with it too in terms of that just with a water bottle <laughs> getting wedged in between the shock and the frame and it was it was a weird bottle cage, it was a weird bottle, probably won't happen to most people, but yeah, it was it was definitely something that I I was surprised to find. Hopefully they keep that adapter uh on sale on their site and access easily. <laughs> so I'm, like every time I go yeah. to like put air in my tires you know like i've got like at least on my salsa and i have like Kushcore valves on my my revel and you know like nice anno ones that i don't want to lose but i always forget them like i always place them somewhere and forget them because it's a small little part Mm -hmm. so i'm sure people are probably doing the same thing with with that adapter yeah it's it's a weird placement for it too inside the the chainstay like I don't know if I would, yeah, it seems like it could easily get knocked out or there's got to be a better place for it on the bike. But yeah, they should just send like five of them. You keep one in your pack and one in your steer tube. All right. So Matt, uh, another bike you tested recently was the Spot Rive, which is, I mean, it's it's a cross country bike, right? Yeah. Yep. Basically. Right. It, it kind of fits in this like new age cross country thing. So Spot has two different versions of the Rive, a Rive 100, which is, there's no confusion about it. It's just a, a cross country bike. And then the Rive 115 has 115 millimeters of rear travel and uh, a Fox 34, 120 mil fork. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I rode a lot of these types of bikes last year and the Spot to me felt closest to the pivot Mach 4 SL, which is also just, yeah, it's a hard to say thoroughbred again, because they kind of make these tweaks and adjustments and, you know, new geometry changes and stuff. But it, it's, it feels like a cross country bike that is a little bit more capable, you know, for everyday trail riding and stuff. It's like they say, it's more of a blend into a trail bike than a cross country bike, but cross country courses have changed also. So it's like, is it just a newer cross country bike that's made for the new demands of cross country, or are you really trying to make it into a trail bike? <laughs> right. So, uh, but it was a lot of fun. I will say is probably one of the best climbing bikes I've ever ridden. The geometry is great. It's one of the most efficient feeling suspension systems I've ever ridden in. So their suspension design is called the living link. It's kind of like a, it's very similar to a dual link, suspension design uh, like a dw link that you'd find but with the lower link instead they use this little carbon leaf spring that actually has like it's designed to flex so it returns energy into the suspension as it moves throughout its travel Mm -hmm. and so with that you get you can definitely feel it 
like it feels like it builds momentum to get the rear wheel over rocks. Hmm. And it almost feels like this weird forward momentum coming from the rear wheel so that the suspension is getting bogged down even less when you're trying to get over obstacles. And so it's like, yeah, as soon as you're pedaling over something chunky, it's like, it might feel like it stalls out for a second, but that's only like if you stop pedaling. So if you keep pedaling, as soon as you are pushing your quads into the pedals, like that suspension's active and it just pushes you forward. It's, it's a really, really fun bike to ride. Again, not something I'd say it's a full on trail bike. Um, as soon as I started to take it to any real steep, um, repetitive, chunky rock garden type trails. Um, and it was also is 26 pounds and going downhill is where you start to appreciate a little bit more weight. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's not something you're going to plow through rock gardens on and not something that I would compare to the tall boy that I rode last year or even the horse thief, like the horse thief felt like it had a little bit more, a little bit more capable going through rock gardens and everything. Hmm. Can't really tune that, that carbon piece, right? Like not like a shock or, or anything else. No. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it has the amount of flex that spot is looking for tuned into the thickness of the link itself. So it's designed to basically alter the spring curve inside the rear suspension. And so, yeah, it is, it's, I mean, it's made to be a certain amount of thickness to work with their suspension design. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think I read or heard in your video review that they tested it uh, through like 3 million cycles uh, to see if, you know, it wears out or fatigues over time. That sounds like a lot of, a lot of flexes. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. Like the equivalent they say is riding seven days a week for like 12 years straight or something like that. It's so durability shouldn't be an issue. And the cool thing is that unlike a dual link design where you have pivot bearings where the link attaches both on the chain stay and the front triangle, it eliminates the bearings at the chain stay. So it bolts on directly. So it's less bearings to replace if um, people are concerned about that. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah, while we're on the subject of cross-country bikes, I tested the Specialized Epic S-Works while I was in Baja, Mexico back in early March. And uh, I was testing it with a new set of Roval wheels uh, that came out or were just announced recently. So this this bike was set up, you know, to be cross-country race bike. These The wheels, um, if you're not familiar, you didn't, see the story about them are they're basically designed for the olympics for the 2020 olympics which have now been postponed but it's like a super limited edition set of wheels Um, there's all these rules which i learned about around uh, the equipment you use in olympic competition like the equipment has to be commercially available at some point before the games Uh, It has to have been, like, tested and used in competition uh, for a year. And so this is something, you know, Specialized had prototypes and early models uh, that their athletes were riding in races leading up to this. And so the wheels wheels are super lightweight. You know, they're optimized to reduce pinch flats and all kinds of things. They're they're really high-tech and obviously expensive as well just like the epic s works and when i showed up for this press trip 
I really didn't know what, I don't think they told us what the wheels were. We just knew they were Roval wheels and had no idea if they were, you know, enduro wheels or, or downhill wheels or gravel wheels. Um, but yeah, it ended up being cross country and just kind of like scanning the terrain around there. I was a little nervous. I was like, oh geez, we're going to be <laughs> riding these super lightweight cross country wheels on this, you know, cross-country race bike because you know it's the desert and there's rocks and steep mountains and cacti everywhere but the s-works the epic ended up being great it's actually the evo edition so that's the one where they kind of kitted out to be a little more trail capable still a cross-country bike and still one that specialized athletes are going to be racing on uh, but it it does have a fox 34 fork up front a step cast with 120 millimeters of travel so i think the normal epic has 100 millimeters of travel in the front so a little bit extra and it's 100 millimeters of travel in the back uh, they don't change that on the evo they had it set up with a dropper, which is awesome. You know, still not all cross-country racers are, are running droppers. The one on my bike, you know, I, I'm tall, so I ride a extra large generally. And even on my bike, the dropper was only 125 millimeters, which feels short these days. Yeah, like, I don't know, a few years ago, it would have been like, that's great, that's fine. But, yeah, it felt a little awkward for at least for the style of riding that I do. I'm sure if I was a cross-country racer, I might find that to be more than enough. But the the interesting thing is the wheels have a 29-millimeter internal width, uh, which sounds crazy to me, or you know maybe I'm behind the times a little bit, but it sounds crazy for a cross-country wheel. That's what we used to think of for like a trail wheel or even maybe enduro a few years ago. So, yeah, they had, like, 2.3-inch rear tires. It ended up working great. It was a great bike for the terrain. I was I was surprised. And I actually enjoy climbing on the bike. I mean, not, not as much as descending, but, like, I don't mind it. And, yeah, I could get into a good climb. And the bike climbs really well. Obviously, it's designed to pedal well. Um, but it didn't – it felt capable enough for – sort of the the riding that we were doing there especially you know like in loose conditions and on unfamiliar trails like I mean I guess you could go fast but most of us slow down on the descents just to be safe and keep a little bit of traction and so yeah it was I think it was just the right amount of bike uh, for what we rode and obviously it's an expensive bike I mean epic s-works I don't know. I didn't check, but it, I'm sure it costs close to ten grand, if not more. So yeah, you would expect it to be a good bike, and it is. <laughs> and it's one. It's one though that it is a race bike, but I could see riding it on my local trails where we don't have a lot of like high speed technical stuff. We've got plenty of you know low speed tech and NAR, but but yeah, you don't need a lot of suspension for that stuff if you're if you're keeping speeds reasonable and you know you can kind of roll over stuff it kind of seems like that 29 to 31 32 millimeter internal width is becoming the standard for uh, any new mountain bike wheel yeah yeah that is interesting that it maybe it doesn't matter now like as far as yeah is it xc is it an enduro wheels just like mountain bike wheels are going to be kind of in that width range yeah. Matt, what width were the gravel wheels you recently tested? Uh, 24.5. 
So, but yeah, which was oh, okay. So there's still. I mean, that was like XC a few years ago. It's like right, totally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh? Yeah, and uh, it is interesting because Matt, you did an article. I mean, guess I guess it's been a couple of years now. Um, kind of laying out like rim width and tire width, like how you kind of pair that. You know, if thirty millimeters is is a good rim width to match with like what, what was it 2.4 2.6 something like that maybe maybe that's a yeah, little low maybe I'm two off. three to two five okay yeah but like so on a cross-country bike though you would never run a two four or two five i mean maybe people do now so it is interesting that people i mean the I think maybe the front tire was smaller on this bike. Maybe it was like a two-two on a nearly thirty-millimeter rim. So, uh, Maxis just came out with two-point-four-inch uh, versions of the Aspen and the Icon, and so now, yeah, it seems like um, cross-country races are starting to use wider volume tires, at least like two-point-four. Interesting. What'll be really cool to see is, I mean, are, are they getting faster with that equipment? You know, <laughs> right? That's like, the important question. It, I mean, it's hard to compare. It's not like it's not like track racing or something where you have like a very fixed course and conditions. But like, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I assume everybody's getting faster. But is it the athletes? Is it the equipment? Because some of the stuff that they're doing seems a bit counterintuitive. Yeah, I wonder what the benefits are. It's like, I mean, you can widen the the tire footprint, get better traction. You know, I mean, you look at like the track on, um, at, at snowshoe, uh, during the end of the year last year, and it's filled with roots and rocks. Mm-hmm. If you can keep the casing light enough to make it a cross country tire, then yeah, it's an interesting, interesting time. Yeah. It seems like definitely comfort wise, I would want that if I was a racer, but yeah. But does that translate into being faster? maybe indirectly interesting all right so another bike uh, that i tested that's down toward this end of the spectrum i don't know if i would call it cross country or trail i mean it's a budget bike is the schwinn axum Um, and this is it's an entry-level bike it retails for 398 dollars and that's that's probably the cheapest yeah that's probably the cheapest mountain bike that i've tested and you know i mean we hear from users all the time that and readers and listeners that they they want us to review uh, more affordable bikes i mean this is you know this is as affordable as it gets really i mean there are cheaper bikes i'm sure and i wouldn't mind reviewing those as well but for most of our readers like this is this is as low as i would think a lot of them are willing to go so the bike is a 29er uh, with a 100-millimeter fork on it. It does not have a dropper, though it does uh, come drilled for one, so you could add an internal dropper, which I thought was a, a nice touch. And shortly after I reviewed the bike, actually, Schwinn came out with another model that includes a dropper post, and that one's priced at just under 500 bucks. And, yeah, so the bike is it's heavy, as you would expect, and it has a kickstand, which I actually like. I thought that was an awesome feature. It makes taking pictures easy, but also just, yeah, it's easy to, 
get off the bike and, you know, not have to find a tree to lean it against or, or whatever. And yeah, it came with 2.6 inch tires. Um, so overall, like I thought it was a really good spec, I guess, at the very least for beginning riders, um, people who want to kind of, you know, do like their sort of local trails on it. And the drivetrain was interesting as well. It's a one by drivetrain, but only eight speeds. Um, and so it's kind of a limited gear range, but again, it's not one that I would like take to the mountains to ride anyway. Like it's a, it's a good local trail bike and, uh, it actually looks pretty good too. You know, a lot of the guys I ride with were complimentary of the bike. I don't think they were just saying that, uh, to make me feel better, <laughs> but yeah, it's cool. It's all black. You know, that's what people like these days. So yeah, it was a cool bike and I think it's worth the 400 bucks or so. Um, you know, you're not like getting away with anything. It's not like, Oh I can't believe this bike only costs 400 bucks. Like it's, it's probably worth about 400 bucks. You know, I think they priced it right. And, uh, and, and it's not, you know, I think a lot of people want to look at a bike like that and, and think, okay, I'll buy it. And then, you know, upgrade stuff over time. Like I didn't get the feeling that, that it was that kind of bike. Like that's probably not what I would do. doesn't seem like it would be necessarily good, good use of money. So it's, it's more like ride it. And when you wear stuff out, like maybe start thinking about another bike, um, and kind of, you know, cause by that point you're going to be a better rider and you're going to know whether you like doing it or not. And so, yeah, it's probably time to move on and hand that bike off to someone else. And speaking of which, when, uh, after the review was done, they, said like hey you know send it back or if you got somebody uh, that needs a bike or you want to donate it like you can do that and so yeah I was able to do that uh, about a month or so ago and that was like right before all this stuff with bikes started happening with like shops running out of bikes and yeah just sort of the mini bike explosion we're seeing right now Um, so yeah somebody found someone uh, who needed to one of our local bike clubs uh, ranged uh, sort of this like need a bike give a bike uh, situation where um, you know I told them I have a bike to give away and then they found someone who was deserving and who needed a bike and so yeah I met up with them and handed off the bike and yeah he seemed pretty stoked yeah that's that's fantastic it's really cool that somebody's got a bike that's worth riding like you're saying like worth getting on to get started at that price point that's sweet yeah, definitely. And yeah, I should mention the drivetrain was, it was not good when I first got it and I did have to take it to my bike shop to get them to work on it. And so, yeah, by the time I was done with it, it was, it was running pretty good. And yeah, like the guy, the guy that I gave it to, you know, he, he had never, he didn't know about like a quick release axle, right? Like I'm showing him like how to, you know, take the wheel off so he can fit it in his car and like, yeah, it was just really cool to be like, okay, like this this is somebody who's going to now like learn and and get to know biking and they'll probably enjoy it too because it's a fun bike. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it's just a a more premium department store bike. Like they forever have only Is it at Walmart? Like do they carry it at Walmart? It is. Yeah. Yeah, maybe exclusively, I don't know. So like the bikes there, what do the top ones mostly sell for? Like 125, 150. Mm-hmm. So now it's just right. like they've kind of broken into a higher price point for um, maybe somebody that wants that also. 
Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, if we're honest, I mean, $100 bike sounds great, but you can't build one that's <laughs> that's going to last very long or that you're going to enjoy. And so, yeah, it's good that, that there's this alternative. Now, whether people will recognize it or not, I don't know, especially when you're standing in the store and you're like, these both look the same. They're both black and, you know, both have pedals and wheels. So I'm just going to get the one that's way cheaper. Yeah, and is the salesperson at Walmart going to be able to elaborate on the differences between them? And Right, yeah, yep. Well, speaking of Walmart, Matt, you reviewed the Viathon, or, or you're about to review it, I guess, uh, the G1, which is their gravel bike. How's that been? You know, it hasn't, it hasn't been that bad. Part of me feels like I was a little hard on the M1 when I rode that. And I, I didn't mean to be hard on it, but I meant to kind of talk about what the bike is versus what Vi- or Viathon was saying the bike is. I feel like it's a little bit more clear with the G1 because the gravel segment is not as uh, broken up as mountain biking. Like it's still fairly straightforward with gravel bikes. You, most of them kind of fall in this department of either being a gravel race bike or this utilitarian bike packing thing and the g1 it it feels like a gravel race bike like it feels like it's made uh for long stretches of gravel roads it's very light it's very stiff the geometry is a little bit more serious than like i have a salsa journeyman which you know is it's a salsa so again they make it very utilitarian and made to ride on single track occasionally or sort of whatever you run into. And so the G1, uh, it's got a full Shimano GRX 600 group set on it, Mm -hmm. which is, it's a solid, you know, gravel specific group set and the entire bike retails for 2,300. So it's a very good uh, price point. And yeah, like I'll say I have enjoyed it. (laughs) For a gravel bike. Yeah. Like it's, it's very light. It's very stiff. This is, I think, one of the only models. There might be one other. No, actually, I think so this is one of the lower spec models. And the above spec models or the higher build kits have one by systems. Whereas the hmm. G1 with GRX 600 that I have is a two by. And so it's a, let's see, it's 11 to 34 tooth cassette in the rear with a 46. 30 up front and that hasn't been that bad on the trails either it's kind of what i've learned about going between my journeyman and the g1 is that one buys on gravel bikes are great if you're going to ride it like a mountain bike (laughs) right which it makes sense if you have a a two by you're going to be a lot more capable for one probably most gravel roads into if you take your gravel bike on the road yeah. Otherwise, it just kind of feels like you're dragging a boat anchor on the ground if you're uh, using a one by system for like really long road rides. You just get spun out. You mean you do, and it like it never feels like you're in the right gear for the cadence you want to be at. Just I mean, because obviously it's it's limited, and the gears in the middle where I want a higher cadence, it's just not there. Like the the chain ring. So on my uh, salsa, it's a forty tooth up front so even if i'm in the middle range of my 
gears on my cassette, like it, it just feels like too big of a chain ring up front to actually get to a decent cadence. So my biggest complaint on the G1 is that it just, it feels a little overly stiff and not compliant on really repetitive. Say you've got brake bumps in a gravel road or on um, the trails that are pretty close to home for me. If I'm going over rocks or roots or anything like that, my hands ache after riding it. Like they're crying for a break. So something like the, uh, the Spank Vibracore gravel bars that I used on my uh, Salsa Journeyman would be a perfect fit for something like the G1. Like if you get a G1, just expect that if you're taking it out on the trails or someplace with a lot of brake bumps, um, it's going to feel harsh up front and you're probably going to want thicker bar tape or a more flexy handlebar to compensate for that. Will it take larger tires as well? The largest it will take is basically what it came specced with. So it's 700 C by or 700 by 40 C. So 40 C tire in the rear and it's like an inch and it's like an inch and a half wide basically on the 650b like you can put a 650b on it and i think it goes up to maybe uh, 50 so it yeah i mean it's still kind of a shortcoming like people want to get they want to put 50c tires on their 700c bikes so yeah a bit of a shortcoming there Hmm. Yeah, and you alluded to your review of the M1 Viathon's mountain bike and how the the brand sort of markets that bike as like a everyday rider, but really it's a pretty racy bike. And it sounds like the G1 is as well. I mean, do, do you think Viathon is this, are they shaping up to be like more of a race brand than a like everyman kind of brand? I don't think that's what they want to be. I don't think they want to be racy brand if they're selling at walmart they're keeping the prices low for the everyday rider mm-hmm. but yes i mean all their bikes feel geared toward uh towards the competitive end of of things <laughs> yeah i mean the the g1 just like the m1 felt like it was a little bit is made a little bit more towards um the gravel race crowd like folks that want to get in lycra and and spin out on and long gravel roads versus the guy with the massive beard and all these, um, you know, custom made frame bags that wants to go on a, a bike packing trip. <laughs> a portier ride. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with either one. Those are just two different spectrums and yeah, all kinds of riders out there. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> now let's talk about the bikes we've got in for test. So those were all ones that we feel like we've put in a good amount of time on them and, um, a lot of them we've already written up, uh, you know, long-term reviews on them. Uh, let's go into the ones we have for tests. And Jero's, you know, is in Italy and has been under quarantine for a long time. And that's why he hasn't been able to do a lot of long-term test reviews uh, over the last couple of months. But all of a sudden now, Jero, you got like a basement full of bikes, right? I've got a pretty amazing quiver. I'm excited about it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. The most recent bike I uh, I reviewed was the Mondraker Foxy, the RR build. Mm-hmm. And I would say first off, like first ride on the bike, it's the longest bike I've ridden so far. And it was the first time that I hopped on and was like, "Whoa, this <laughs> this horse wants to be ridden a different way. <laughs> this is not <laughs> yeah. this is not just a plug and play situation." Yeah, and the the long reach, short rear end, and Actually, somewhat for an enduro bike, somewhat steeper head tube angle of 66 degrees. It just 
it was just different. Took some getting used to. And then once I got used to it, it was really fun. I mean, I guess my criteria for an, an, if you're going to call a bike an enduro bike is that it needs to be at least pretty good at everything and really good at descending. Mm -hmm. And I would say this bike is, I mean, tight, switchy, switchback, you know, tech riding. No, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a long bike. Um, there's a lot going on there and it's, that's just not what it's designed for, but it's, it definitely climbs well enough to get to the top of any cool trail you want to ride. Or like if you're using it to race enduro, um, you know, it's, it's got a good climbing platform provided you close the compression switch. Um, if you leave it open, it's, it's pretty bobby. It's got a pretty, pretty soft initial stroke. And so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I was able to take care of that by just shutting the switch and going for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, I mean, it comes to life the faster you ride. It's one of those bikes that like the more you let go, the better it feels and the better it seems to perform, the more it kind of like makes up for little mistakes you make or little places where, you know, you maybe should have leaned here or done this or that differently. Like mm -hmm. the length really comes into play and the, the activity of the rear suspension really starts to make a difference. I mean, it's, it's super supple to use the overused term all the way. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't seem, I haven't looked at the suspension curve to be honest, but it doesn't seem to ramp up until the very end. And I, th I believe it's actually a pretty linear curve because there's mm -hmm. not very many people at least liking to use a coil on this bike. It came with a DP DPX two. And I think mm -hmm. based on the way that it went through the travel, I wouldn't put a coil on this bike unless you went with like a progressive spring, mm. um, which is going to limit the coils you use, but I'm sure it could probably work. I don't know. Yeah. The build was really nice. Comes with XT brakes. I think it's a full XT. Yeah. Full XT drive train. Fox factory shock and fork. Again, it comes with like just way too light of tires. I think maybe they're trying to like make the bike lighter on the showroom floor, <laughs> but I've, I flatted both tires on the first run and I wasn't even going fast yet. So I like, oh, wow. and the, the rear tire was completely destroyed. I had to throw it away. <sighs> wow. So, yeah. It's just, it came with an aggressor on the rear, which I don't love that tire, but it's fine. Mm -hmm. But with the EXO casing and for a bike this capable, that's, I think, a, it's a poor choice. I don't know. I mean, it, it all depends where you ride. But Yeah, Matt mentioned that on my uh, RIP9 review. Point, he pointed that out. It's the same tire combo, probably. Uh, the aggressor in the back, and it's got a Minion DHF in the front. Both EXO. And then the other bike that I just got in has the same combo, too. Yeah, this one's got a DHR up front, which is a little, for the off-camber stuff here, I kind of prefer it. I've come to prefer it recently over the DHF. Uh, it's just, it really bites in hard. It doesn't feel as fast on anything where you're pedaling, but I think it it's helpful when you really need it. Yeah. Um, yeah, overall, I think for folks who want a race bike, this is a really good option. It's not a cheap bike. I mean, this build... Was it seventy five ninety nine U S dollars? So yeah, not a cheap bike, but it's it's light. It's like top shelf components. It does come with my only other complaint. It does come with a uh, one hundred and twenty five millimeter dropper post on on the medium, 
and it's got a super low, ver- low standover height. I mean, I think I could have fit 170 posts on it and that thing, it was like mm-hmm. very noticeably in the way all the time. Huh. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> on anything steep, wow. it was like, Oh, there's, there's my cross country saddle again. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> right. So yeah, it's a yeah. strange choice for this bike. And I, I s- pushed the, the post down in, there was plenty of room in the frame to take more posts. So I'm not quite sure what their hmm. plan is there, but yeah, that could be changed. Huh. Interesting. I know your, your race calendar is pretty limited this year, but if you were doing sort of your normal enduro race circuit, uh, would you race this bike? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. the first day I rode it, no, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that was on me. I mean, once I, once I like, kind of let go of what I expected the bike should feel like and just let it, let it be itself and got used to how it rides and needs to be ridden. I really enjoyed it. And I think it can be a super fast bike. Um, yeah, it's, it's really well set up. The geometry feels great. It's, it's cool for sure. Nice. So one of the bikes that I just got in, actually I've had it for a while, but I'm just now getting around to it is the Canyon Spectral. And this is, I got their, their least expensive build. It's an aluminum bike retails for 2,700 U S dollars and it's full suspension, 160 millimeter pike up front. And it's got 150 millimeters of travel in the rear. And the, the coolest thing I've, you know, I've, we've reviewed Canyon bikes before. I'm trying to think if I've done any like local, um, long-term tests. A lot of them are at like demo events, but, but this one shipped just like a normal Canyon would, like if I had bought it through the website and man, like I'm super impressed with how they package the bikes for shipping and how like the whole experience is. I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but like, um, you know, I mean, it's like, it's like opening an iPhone or something, <laughs> you know, like the unboxing was, amazing and there's yeah there's this like special box that's got like the instruction manuals and comes with all the tools it even has like the grease that they want you to put like you know on the seat post when you insert that in and uh, it's got like a torque wrench like preset to the the torques that you need for like you know the the parts that are not already on the bike and just the like instead of using zip ties to like keep everything secure, they have these like nice Velcro things with like padding built into them. And it's super impressive. And then the bike itself, I'm actually really stoked on it. Like it's one of those bikes where as soon as I sat on it, I was like, okay, yeah, this feels good and like fits me well and is, is natural. I'm like, yeah, I mean the Niner for whatever reason, the Niner just, it it didn't feel the same. It felt awkward. It's kind of like you're saying, Jero, with the Mondraker. It was one of those where it took some getting used to because it it is different and and it's hard to even say what is different. We have a I have a survey coming up um, asking people sort of how they view mountain bike geometry, like whether they you know geek out over the charts and like use that to decide what bike's going to feel good and fit well, but like. Looking at most of the numbers on these two bikes are pretty similar, you know, travel-wise, geometry-wise, everything, um, but they just have very different feels, and, yeah, I find that interesting. Yeah, it can change so much from bike to bike. Yeah. 
it's so odd because I've, I've been in the same dilemma with the bikes that are tested back to back and I'm looking at the geometry and it's like, it's two millimeters different here and it's three millimeters different there. And it's like just completely different. Yeah. Really strange. Um, and this one, it has 27, five wheels, uh, which, you know, it, uh, man, I don't remember the last time I rode a straight up 27, five bike and they do feel and look they look small. Like when I'm on the bike, I'm like, whoa, my wheels are tiny. Especially on your size. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. But again, it somehow it feels natural and good. And yeah, I can, I can do my best wheelie on it and I can, um, get it up in the air. Like, yeah. And, and I, I need to go back and check. I don't know. I, I feel like Canyon, they even ask you ahead of time, like for your rider weight and all that kind of stuff so that the bike is like as set up for you as possible. And I mean, there's literally air in the tires and like, yeah, it came dialed. So yeah, I, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I can see why people, um, why people like can Canyon and, um, seems like they have really good support as well. And the price for the bike is, is great. Yeah, finding something comparable to that, I think, I think would be tough. So, yeah, that's cool. And sending the torque wrench with it seems like a smart move. Save themselves some user error phone calls. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they they seem to have have good support. Yeah, that's one of the. So when I was talking to my friend who worked at a bike shop um, in Texas about the whole coronavirus bike boom. So Trek and Specialized had started shipping bikes to customers' homes over the pandemic just to obviously ease people from going into a bike shop and being in contact with strangers. Um, and that was the first time they had done that. Um, and this makes sense, but obviously something I never thought of that my friend had said, yeah, if customers usually assemble their own bikes, it voids the warranty. And so that's why, you know, they haven't really done that before. I haven't taken the risk. So it is cool for Canyon to break everything down and make it as user-friendly as possible when, um, they're direct to consumer company. Yeah. Well, yeah, there, now that you mentioned it, there were like warning labels on every component, <laughs> like, like on the skewer and on the, the shock and on the fork and like everywhere. It was like warning, warning, like do this right. Or you're going to get hurt. So Yeah. Yeah, hopefully they got themselves covered. All right, Jero, another one that you've got in for test uh, is the Santa Cruz Mega Tower. And obviously Santa Cruz is a brand that a lot of people know. A lot of people are going to be interested to hear your thoughts on that bike. What do you think so far? So far, well, first off, i got to disclose that this is the first Santa Cruz I've ridden, long-term anyway. I mean, I, I rode their e-bike for couple days but um yeah so the first first santa cruz i've really like had had some time on and it's the first bike i've ever looked at and thought like i would almost buy that just for the color it's so good it's forest service green and it's really pretty so i hopped on the bike uh, a few weeks ago for the first time it showed up also like air in the tires all i had to do is turn the bars set up the suspension and go and it has a coil shock so it's pretty limited suspension setup. Yeah, so it comes stock with a coil shock and fortunately was somehow the right coil. So I'm good to go. Uh, hopped on and just really felt at home. I was surprised. I was like, this feels like my personal bike, which 
you know, isn't anything like this. So, um, yeah, like the, the lower link, uh, suspension felt really nice on the climb. I didn't have to flip it closed, even like climbing on a paved road. It, it didn't feel like I was losing a ton of energy. Yeah. The, the reach is not, not nutty. Um, it's actually pretty, that's pretty similar to my bike. So in the low position, it's 447 millimeters, which is kind of conservative for a 160 millimeter bike. Um, and yeah, I mean, this bike, absolutely. I would, I would probably take it first to a race if I had to take any of the bikes, <laughs> enduro race, any of the bikes. Wow. Yeah. And in, in the yeah. basement, including my own, I mean, it's, it just feels so good and it's easy to ride. It's easy to get along with. There's nothing, nothing that's like, Oh man, they really should have done that differently. Um, yeah, it's, it's a good build. It's got, um, Fox 36 performance up front and a rock shocks. What is the shock? It's a super deluxe coil, I believe. Um, I'd have to confirm that, but yeah. Um, uh, SRAM drivetrain code R brakes that are, everything's working fantastically. I think actually somehow these are like the best code R brakes I've ever used. And those brakes come on <laughs> oh, nice. half the bikes I test. So it's like, these ones are dialed. Um, really nice. nice newer reverb dropper post. That's working great. Like the original bike comes with a set of as tires and this one, let me remember this one came with DHR, DHR, I believe. Yeah. DHR two front and rear, which is really nice. Just hooking up. Great. Same story, but better casings. These came with the EXO plus and, uh, let's see. What else about this one? It's got the Santa Cruz carbon wheels, which I obviously also hadn't tested and it feels the bike overall, even though I don't think it actually is that light. It feels really light. It's like, like the rebounds not set up any faster than I normally set it up, but the bike just feels like nice and lively and fun, easy to throw around. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. Huh? Nice. Yeah. I, I owned a, tall boy for many years and uh yeah santa cruz makes good bikes yeah i rode that mega tower for one ride last year and yeah i I really liked it like it didn't feel like this big sled of a bike it's yeah like you said easy to get along with it's it feels like it pedals very well for 160 mile 29er totally yeah i mean i would take it on a big all-day ride for sure like take it up in the alps and go like throw a backpack on, spend the whole day on the trails. It's not, not just a bike to throw downhill, but it's really good going downhill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. All right, Matt, you're up next with your Orbea Occam. And this one is set up with a pretty interesting drivetrain, isn't it? Yeah. I'm not even, uh, it's, it's kind of funny because I got sent a bike and I'm not testing the bike. I'm just reviewing the drivetrain. <laughs> so yeah. So let's talk about the drivetrain. Duro's reviewed that bike, I believe. So yeah. So tell us about the rotor. Yes. Yeah, so it's rotors, new 13 speed hydraulic drivetrain and just digest that for a second. Cause I keep telling people and they're like <laughs> 13 speeds. I was like, yes, but it's also hydraulic. <laughs> so uh, 13 speed hydraulic drivetrain rotor has been developing it for 
I know. I mean, we've been talking to them for two years, maybe, while they've been doing this. At least, yeah. And so now it's it's finally on the market. And I've had three rides out on it now. And yeah, I mean, I guess just like first impressions, it's it's a lot different everywhere. So starting with a shifter, it's it's just one paddle shifter. There's not two different levers down there. It's it kind of works the same way a road bike shifter would work, um, like a SRAM road bike shifter, to where it's kind of just a small a small push or like I would call it a tap. So tap to shift up and a push further to shift down. Um so it's just one lever and it kind of has a detented feel like it doesn't feel like a a click like you would get out of a SRAM or Shimano and in that same vein it doesn't necessarily the shifting doesn't feel as fast as a, a SRAM or Shimano so far I haven't been able to get you know multiple up or down shifts which is a you know I mean SRAM you can't get multiple up shifts but you can click it fast enough because the shifting's so precise that you can almost get it um and so I'm getting used to that um, and just the way that the derailleur operates um, because as a whole, it's it's just a lot different. There's this huge box filled of, I mean, I guess part of it's armor to protect it a little bit because the derailleur, I don't know the price off my head, but I know it's expensive and you want to protect that from rock strikes and spilling hydraulic drivetrain fluid all over the trail. So that's armored. Again, 13-speed cassette, and they make a larger one. Right now, I have the 11 to 46 tooth, so it's not, you know, that big cog is not as big as something you'd usually get with a SRAM or Shimano cassette either, but you can get, I think it's either a 51 or 52 tooth in the rear. To get 13 speeds, you have to use Rotor's own hub to go with it uh, because... SRAM or Shimano don't make a hub driver that would be wide enough to accommodate the 13-speed hub. So if you want to do the whole system, you want to do 13 speeds, then you have to buy Rotor's 13-speed specific hub. The axle spacing is the same. It's not like you have to go to Boost 169 or something to get this. It, it will work with a... Uh, it, it's just a Boost 148 in the back of the Orbea, I'm pretty sure. Um... So, and it works with the whole speed chain. Is the chain the only part that they're not making, Matt? I believe so. Yes. Uh, I think I just have a KMC 12 speed chain on there. Yeah. So chain length works the exact same. Yeah. It's, it's, it's different. It's a lot different. Uh, everything about the derailleur and how you would tune that is different. I haven't, I haven't dove into that uh, a whole lot yet. And it's still something I need to spend some more time with figuring out, but it definitely feels different and it's expensive. The whole system, again, if you're using the, the rotor hub cassette, everything is $2,800. So yeah, well, maybe I I must've missed it. The, what is the, are you getting like an extra gear range out of that? extra gear or are they just like spacing them more regularly? Like what's, what's kind of the advantage of going to 13 speeds? 
I, my guess is that it, like, it's the same is, um, you know, using a two by system on the road or on gravel, like you get better sequencing, you get a better selection of gears to pick your own cadence with. Yeah. But what's, what, uh, what's the range again? What's the small, smallest to the biggest? I believe mine is either an 11 or a 10. And then I have the 46 tooth. So that's got to be a pretty tight range. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, only a 46. Jeez. So not even not even the range of like Eagle or Shimano's 12-speed. Right. And they do have the, uh, like I said, I think they have a couple of cassette options uh, with that that will go up to it's a 51 or 52 tooth. I'm going to check. And then I believe you can also run it with 12-speed, right? So if you wanted to keep your hub and you just want to use their shifter and derailleur. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, you can use it just as a 12-speed hydraulic system. Yeah, yeah. Do you know if you then still have... Do you need a 12-speed rotor cassette, or will it, use, will it work with whatever cassette? Uh, no, you... Well, actually, that's a good question, right? Uh, on the cassette. One for the review, maybe. <laughs> right, right, we're asking Matt all these questions, and yeah, he's only had three rides in on it and hasn't hasn't sat down to actually yeah it's it. going to be a learning process throughout like the whole thing um so yeah mine's the 11 to 46 um and they make one 11 to 52 they make an 11 to 36 13 speed and they make an 11 to 39 13 speed so four different 13 speed cassette options interesting well yeah yeah we'll look forward to reading the review and finding out more about that because it's definitely very different in a lot of ways it is yeah it it's very different. Yeah. And it's going to be hard to compare to SRAM or Shimano just because it is so different. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Jero, another bike that you have in for review, pretty mainstream bike is the Trek fuel EX. Tell us how that one's going. It's going well. Um, the fuel EX is the, I would say is the shortest travel bike I've ridden in a while. Um, and it's been a really fun and just nice shift to, to ride something different. Um, that said, so it's 130 millimeters in the rear and 140 in the front on the EX. Um, but this size, it's size ML, medium, large, I guess, uh, in the low position is like, has really similar geometry to the mega tower and other much larger bikes. So it's got like a, 455 millimeter reach, 66 degree head tube angle, uh, 437 millimeter chain stays. I mean, it's, it's kind of like a tiny enduro bike, <laughs> um, but it doesn't really ride like an enduro bike. I would say it feels more precise. Uh, it's definitely lighter. It feels super light. It's got, um, carbon Bontrager rims and it's, I can't remember what the tires are. They're Bontrager tires. I don't remember exactly the model, but they're 2.6. So that took a little getting used to. I don't really, I've never ridden a tire that wide. And I generally don't ride tires wider than 2.4. It felt a little sluggish at first, but after a while, I kind of got used to the tires and forgot about them. And I think that was all in my head. So, um, yeah, the bike's got a nice build. Fox 36 up front and 
it's got Fox's, well, really Trek's kind of iteration of a Fox shock outback, and they've got kind of their own setup and tune that works a little differently. And I'll I'll outline all that stuff in the review, but it's certainly a supportive platform. I don't have I haven't had any reason seen any reason to uh, to flip the climb switch. Like it's with I think I've got twenty five percent sag. It just feels nice and supportive and rides great. Um, SLX four piston brakes on this build, and those are working well. Yeah, everything feels really good, but it's just the, I think the surprising thing about it is the geometry. Like, you do feel like you're riding a pretty good sized long bike, and then you hit the really rough sections of the trail, and it's like, oh, yeah, there's only 130 millimeters back there, right? This is a trail bike. So yeah, it's been fun. You can, you know, like with that shorter travel, you can pump it up a little bit extra and really just bounce off everything and kind of play around and use the advantage of the low weight. That's, it's a really cool bike. Yeah. Nice. Well, with a little bit of extra time on our hands, all three of us actually have uh, taken on some bike builds. Uh, Matt, I think you were probably the first and you uh, wrote a piece about sort of the whole process of building a bike yourself, you know, from the frame up. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that build and specifically about the uh, Marzocchi Bomber Z2 fork uh, that you were able to put on it. Yeah. um, So I... I had followed the trend and uh, bought a new bike during the pandemic because that's what that's what you do. <laughs> and uh, yeah, bikes and puppies. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, you treat puppies better than the bikes. Um, <laughs> so last year, I rode uh, Rebel Rascal. They're a newer brand now, but they've had a pretty solid buzz uh, since they came out. And um, it's their trail bike, uh, 130 mil in the back and 140 mil fork. Um, and spent the early first few weeks of, uh, of quarantine and shelter in place orders, building that up. And some of it was older parts that I had older review parts and then put on some newer review parts also. Um, because yeah, as, as we've said, we're not really traveling as much this season, but uh, brands are still releasing new product. They're they're shipping it here. Um, not that this is new either, but um, anyway, yeah, got the Bomber Z2 in for tests, and I've been riding that since I've been on my Revel, and um, it's it's really good. You know, again, we're talking about like a five hundred dollar fork, so a budget fork um, in Marzocchi. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a lot of money, but a lot of I mean, you look at a high-end fork and it's gonna be over a thousand dollars right now yeah right and i just got some stuff from olin's and that fork goes for 1300 something like that so different (laughs) yeah so when fox bought marzocchi two years ago i think that was in 2018 because i checked out the z1 shortly after fox acquired them and the z1 was essentially a Fox 36 built a little bit simpler with heavier materials. And a lot of people were like, Oh, you're just rebranding. You're just rebranding a Fox fork for the sake of bringing back the Marzocchi name. And so this bomber Z2 is Marzocchi's basically first 
flat-out design suspension fork. Uh, and it kind of goes back to their origins a little bit more because it's a semi-open bath damper. So you can pop out the damper, uh, which is they call it the real damper. It's Marzocchi's first developed damper because the Z1 used the grip damper, which is the Fox damper before. And so now with this real damper, it's a semi-open bath. And so you can take off the top cap of the fork, you can pull the damper out, and you can see the suspension fluid sitting underneath it. Um, so they save a little bit of money by using some heavier materials in the fork, uh, but reportedly actually makes it stiffer than a Fox 34 because Fox 34 uses um, uh, thinner stanchions and so or stanchion walls. And so the Z2 is heavier because it's a lower price point, obviously. Um, but it also gets a little bit stiffer by using the heavier, or heavier um, materials. And they change a couple things, like the top caps are plastic, uh, which feels a little weird. But, <laughs> I mean, how often are you banging the top caps of your fork on a rock or something like that? Like, it should yeah. be... And if you do, yeah, you can replace them, I guess, as long as they don't rock doesn't go through the cap yeah. and damage the actual fork. But overall, it's felt great. You know, I, I mean, again, for like a five hundred dollar budget fork, it feels really good. It's it's not as sensitive as even the Bomber Z One with the grip damper. Um, I would say it dives a little bit in the mid stroke, but not not terribly. And so, like, I've had my pressure settings and all that kind of figured out for at least a couple rides now and like i'm getting enough mid-stroke support during cornering um enough sensitivity to where i can ride it at speed through fairly choppy stuff and it's not like maiming my hands or anything like that um and then i've got a volume spacer in it too and it feels fine going off of drops or anything like that the weird, I guess, like sort of weird thing, like the kind of knock on it is only made for a 160 mil rotor. Um, and so you use like a post mount adapter and I've got like a 180 up front. And um, I mean, it's fine, not a huge deal. You just add an extra mount and you get the rotor size you want up front. But um, yeah, I guess still a little bit odd considering it's a Marzocchi and it's a fork made in 2019 is when it came out. So. Um, <laughs> But other than that, yeah, I mean, it's been killer. I, like, I don't know that any similar offering from RockShox could match it just based on what it's felt like so far. Yeah, oh, wow. That's cool. That's awesome. Matt, do you know if you can change the damper in it? That's a good question. I don't know if you can. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you could because I think the stanchion size is even different than what a Fox 34 would have. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'll look forward to that review for sure. So Jerome, the bike that you recently built up is a hardtail Norco Torrent. And I know that's a bike you, you ordered it a long time ago. This is one you've been very patient about. <laughs> like you really must've wanted this for sure. frame. Yeah. So tell us, tell us a little bit about it, why you picked it and yeah, what you're going to do with it. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, for starters, I, got rid of my last steel hardtail and uh i've just wanted another one ever since i really love having a steel hardtail around like a capable all mountain enduro whatever you want to call it bike that's 
just got less to fuss with and good for riding in the mud. Yeah. And I, uh, I think I wrote the review for the, or not the review, the, the press release for this one, but whenever the press release came out, whether I wrote it or not, um, I was just, I saw the geometry and I was like, that is basically my full suspension bike in a hardtail version. Like the, the geometry mm. was almost the same. It's at the head tubes, a degree slacker at 64 degrees, but with sag, it's probably oh, wow. 65, you know, like as soon as you're actually on the bike. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got it built up with a bunch of review parts, the new stand CB seven carbon rims, um, some Anza Aquila tires. So the, the tires that Aaron Gwynn was on before he switched to Kenda, um, stuck to, stuck to check those out. They're pretty burly, which I think is good. I'd prefer anyway on a hardtail cause it just seems a little easier to flat. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've got a Magura electric dropper post on it, the Viron. So I'm interested to see how that works out. Like I've, it's the first electric bike part I've used. I think other than like a computer yeah, and you put it on a steel hardtail oh, sacrilege. I know <laughs> it's totally <laughs> like I'm just making all my friends angry. They're like, what did you do that for anyway? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You need like mechanical brakes on it and stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah Paul. It's steel. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, a bunch of other, like, I don't know, somewhat, I guess maybe less known parts, a little bit less known. It's got the haze, uh, four piston brakes that are seem really nice and um, really powerful. Like they're they've been working really well so far. The bleed was super simple. Um, it's got the Metzer Pro fork at 150 millimeters. The fork has a lot of adjustment. I don't think I have it totally dialed yet, um, but it's we're getting there. It's got two a normal like positive negative air chamber that you fill from the bottom. And then it's got this other air chamber at the top that essentially chain. It allows you to kind of change the volume a bit and like change the way that the fork reacts to small bumps and big hits. Um, obviously in, in combination with the compression settings. So it's, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of cool stuff going on there that I'm, I'm stoked to ride this bike for sure. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I got to see the bike on its way to you. And yeah, I was very tempted to just keep it, right. build it up for myself. <laughs> a little QA right check. Totally. Got to make yeah. sure. <laughs> it's got that nice black bass boat paint. It's all like metal flaky. Yeah. Oh, man. Such yep. a good looking bike. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty for bike sure. for sure. Yeah big fan of hardtails. And so, yeah, of course my project is a hardtail as well. Um, and this time, you know, I, I just got a bunch of the new Shimano SLX, uh, 12 speed bits and their brakes. And, uh, yeah, Shimano even sent like a pro handlebar and stem, which I'm anxious to, to check out. And so, yeah, I figured there'd be a good chance to build up a bike, um, for actually for my daughter primarily um she does she's uh in fifth grade going into sixth and she's doing a program called little bellas which is a mountain bike program for uh girls her age to basically like 
just get to experience mountain biking. They ride with mentors and, um, you know, it's not competitive. It's, it's really just, you know, to kind of have fun and build confidence. Um, and she had been riding one of Leah's old bikes, a Trek 8000 from who it's probably, it was, it was closing in on 20 years old. Um, and we had kind (laughs) of, we had kind of upgraded some of the parts, but you know, it had like, uh, still had the cantilever brakes and, um, yeah, just wasn't a, wasn't a great bike. It's kind of a Franken bike at that point. And so, um, yeah, I got a karate monkey, a surly karate monkey for her, um, size extra small. And it was the last one in the country. I'm told extra small in a color that surly calls porta potty blue. <laughs> so they have the best solid. names for the colors. Well, they do. Yeah. For all of you that were hoping to get a porta potty blue one, sorry, I got the last one. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so it's, uh, it's a good looking frame. Um, excited to build it up. I've got a friend actually who I ride with regularly and he's a huge fan of the karate monkey. He owns, uh, I don't know how many he has owned over time, but he currently has at least like three or four of them that are like fully built up and that he rides, you know, he kind of switches between them. One gets broken or whatever. He just hops on a different one. Um, so karate monkey is, it's a good bike for the trails we have around here. And, um, yeah, I'm stoked to put it together. I was a little inspired by Matt's article too, about, um, building up his bike and, you know, I'm, I would say, I mean, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a terrible bike mechanic, but I'm, I'm maybe like one step up from that. Like <laughs> I can figure stuff out, nice. but I, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I'm just like, oh no, I don't do that. Right. Yeah. So like I, bleeding brakes, I don't mm-hmm. do that. Uh, like cutting a steer tube or installing a star nut. I, I don't do that. Or installing headset. Don't do that. But, uh, I've decided I'm going to do all that stuff this time around. Awesome. So, um, nice. yeah, ordered the tools that I needed to do co- some of those kind of specialized tasks. And yeah, I'm stoked to get this bike put together, uh, for her. And, the good thing too is it's also Leah's size, so um, yeah. If, if my daughter doesn't end up riding it a lot, or you know, I mean, for now, like little Bella's is canceled, and who knows, yeah, when she'll get a chance to to really ride it a lot. So yeah, maybe one that Leah tests for us as well. Sweet, um, very cool. And I, I should mention too, I got a Suntour SR Suntour fork for it. Um, the karate monkey is designed for actually a 140 millimeter fork, which oh. is just, I was surprised. Yeah. I, I don't know. I always thought of it as more of a cross country, maybe like a light duty trail bike, but, um, yeah, they spec a pretty aggressive fork. So I got the Axon, uh, from SR Sun Tour in 140 mil travel. And it's a really good looking fork. Like I'm anxious to see how well it does. And it ships with a fender too, which is really awesome. Um, cause you know, I mean, whatever fender is like a simple thing and people have all kinds of designs and they'll like zip tie them on and stuff these days. It's a simple thing to do, but like just having one that like is made for your fork and is like fitted for mm-hmm. it. I think that's a really nice touch and you know, 
you can put it on or not. If you don't need it, you don't you don't have to put it on. But it's nice to have that option. For sure, it's nice not to wrap your new fork in zip ties immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, yeah. And oh, I should mention. So the wheels are also Shimano. So this is going to be a very Shimano build. Um, And the saddle is SDG saddle and. yeah, I probably just have some grips and stuff. I should have everything that I need to put the bike together. So, it, yeah, it should be a cool build, and it will be one definitely that will feature on single tracks in the future. Awesome. Sounds sweet. Nice. Right on. Well, cool. All right. So that should just about cover it. That was a long one, and uh, obviously we have a lot of bikes that we're testing and building up uh, finally, which feels good. And so, yeah. I'm stoked to see all this stuff on the site, and yeah, I hope our readers are too. Well, if you'd like to see more about these bikes, be sure to check Single Tracks. Also, check out our YouTube channel where a lot of these bikes, uh, we actually have full videos of us riding them, testing them, talking about them uh, that you can follow. And uh, obviously, you're listening to the podcast, so you know that that's another way that you can find out what we're up to and, and what we're checking out. That's all I've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week.